0: We're going to be in First Peter again, but we're actually going to look at something in Deuteronomy. So if you can kind of get both of those ready, Deuteronomy 7, and then uh, we'll be in First Peter. Good morning. Glad you're here today. We get back into this great letter of First Peter this morning after a brief pause um, from me just taking a break, and then uh, Palm Sunday, and then Easter last week. And I'm excited for what the text has for us today in First Peter. We will be stepping back in in a really key piece and place of, uh, of, of about our who we are, what's been done for us in regard to um, salvation. Just by way of reminder with Scripture, the Spirit is speaking in every word, every line, every verse, every chapter. So every time we read it, every time we hear it, God is speaking to us, and it is an opportunity for us to have a fresh encounter with God directly. And so this morning, right now in this moment, we have this great opportunity afforded to us. Now the text that we're going to look at today in 1 Peter are going to show us some of the incredible privileges that we get because of the salvation that has come to us. And these blessings have come to us not because inherently we are worthy, but because He is worthy and because of what is done for us, has made us be holy and pure in His sight because of Jesus and our faith in Him. And this salvation that we have is great, and we will find, I believe, today by the end, incredible encouragement today in regard to what has done for us um, through Christ. And so we will see these sacred privileges that have come for us. And uh, and I just want to remind us this morning: we are different than the world. We have been bought with a price, we have been made alive, and there's this incredible reality that God has done something significant in us, but you and I, with these great blessings and these great privileges, should never see them with an ounce of thinking in regard to arrogance. We should always think of them in regard to great humility that God has done a work that no one could do. Now, I have to tell you a story about my life the um, last couple of days. I think there's probably one somewhere in the Metroplex, but I cannot find it. Y'all know what a kaleidoscope is, right? Well, you can't find one in McKinney anywhere. I can just tell you that right now. I've searched the world over. I searched this morning. I was kind of late getting here. Still trying to find it. So I've, I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know where you can find one. But I guess there's probably someone in the Dallas area. <clears throat> a kaleidoscope, as you know, is a tube, and at the very end of the tube, there's mirrors that are there, and there's Colored gems and not not really gems, but I guess beads and different things. And every time you turn it, it creates this thing. As a kid, I loved a kaleidoscope, and I and 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 I and I was excited about getting another one at 52 years of age. I wanted one, and I wanted to show you this morning. I wanted to see it. I wanted to look at it last night. And what Peter is doing in the book of First Peter is he is just like a kaleidoscope. With each turn, it shows this new dimension this new reality this new beauty that's what he's been doing all the way through chapter one and now into chapter two and he's going to turn the kaleidoscope again this morning in scripture we're going to see a, something that we will be fascinated with this morning. We will see something that is beautiful this morning. And all of this has been done by God. It's not something that we have done. It is something that He has done. And so He's been emphasizing over and over the glory of our salvation and the hope that changes us and transforms us, this incredible, beautiful salvation that has come. And so uh, we will see today there is simple words, but there is such depth and and profound things contained in them, that it will be a great, great morning. And so our focus this morning is going to be about embracing our identity in Christ and what this salvation has brought to us. And so 1 Peter chapter 2, and then we're going to go to Deuteronomy 7 under this point, but I want to kind of get you together and let's kind of bring ourselves back up to speed, kind of where we've been because it's been a few weeks And so, if you'll go back with me, chapter one, he's these incredible things that have been listed. And then we get to chapter two, and he says this. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And then he says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God that are acceptable through Jesus Christ. And then he, and he just tells us this, this incredible, he says, the scripture speaks about these things, and he says this, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen. Precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honors for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then He shares with us this beautiful thing. Uh, and in just a second, He reminds us again in verse eight. He says He is a stone of stumbling, He is a rock of offense, and they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And now He's going to do this great contrast and saying that's what it looks like for those who don't know Jesus. But you are different. You have been changed. And so he says these words. He says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. For this purpose, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then he tells them, once You were not a people, but now you've become the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And he makes this great contrast of those who don't know him in 7 and 8... He's a stone of stumbling. He's a rock of offense. And they stumble because they don't obey the word. And, and the result of not obeying the word is you're destined to be stumbling and stumbling and, and, and falling against Jesus and being crushed by that reality. And so he wants this morning to say, kind of, that's who you were. That's who you were. You once were one like that. You're not that anymore. Even though you live among people who are kind of that way. And he's gonna, he makes this profound statement. And the profound statement is simply this. He says, you are a chosen race. have something with me here this morning. Those of you who know this, I, I'm a door freak. I love doors. I think doors are awesome. I love to take pictures everywhere I go. Doors are incredible. I've got a hinge with me this morning. There's a hinge word in the text this morning. And I, I think these things are fascinating as well. Because you can take a heavy door and you can put about three of these in a frame and a door can swing open, it can close, it can support that. And what Peter does this morning, he uses a three-letter word, B-U-T, contrasting what we've just seen in seven and eight and now as we come to nine and it's a hinge word that opens up the door for us to see a depth to who God is, what he has done for us, And it's amazing. And here it is. He says this, but contrasting who they were, but you are a chosen race. So the swinging open of this door that we're going to look at now in this moment has this idea of we are not like those who reject Christ. We are those who recognize and see that there is great honor in knowing him, that he has chosen us, he has redeemed us, he has made us, he has a Purpose for us. We're not fighting him. We're cooperating with him. We're not rejecting him. We are exalting him and worshiping him. And so Peter states that we are nothing like those who may have privileges in the world in regard to riches and recognition. We're not like them. We have eternal privileges. We have something that's inside of us, that's been planted in us, that is so certain, so secure, that it transforms how we look at life. And our theme of this series, as we walk through 1 Peter, is this. This is a hope that changes everything. When we come to see what has been done for us in the beautiful salvation, we are not the kind who rejects, but we are the kind who who embraces who He is, and we are the ones who find Him as the greatest treasure that one can know, one can have, and one can experience in this life. And I want you to look with me now in Deuteronomy chapter 7. What Peter's going to do as we walk through this, and he does it a lot in this letter, he's going to kind of take us back to an Old Testament picture, and he's going to show that in the New Testament, things are different now. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and Peter's going to unfold the privileges of Christ's followers in this text. And he's going to use this Old Testament picture. So when he talks about you are a chosen race, it echoes back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth... It, and it was not because, verse 7 says, You are more in number than any of the people that the Lord God set His love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God." He's the faithful God who keeps His covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. And so as Peter writes these words, he's echoing back and saying, in the Old Testament, God came to this man named Abram, and he said, Abram, I have a plan for you. I'm going to make out of you a nation, and, and this descendants of you will outnumber the grains of sand on the earth and will outnumber the stars in heaven. Well, we know the story. Jesus came. He was the long-awaited Messiah, but the Jews, for the most part, rejected him. And we know from Romans chapter 11 that there's been a veil, there's been a hardening that's in regard to the Jews and opened the door for the Gentiles until the number of Gentiles come in, and then there's going to be this great revival among the Jews. And we know through Revelation that God's going to send out these angels and he's going to gather Um, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. He will bring them together. We will get 144,000 of these witnesses. And so that's coming in the future. But Peter's writing here to both Jewish and Gentile believers. And he's telling them this, just as it was in the Old Testament, where God came to this man and said, I'm going to make something great of you. He says, listen, there's a New Testament picture of this, and it's this. God has chosen you, just as he did the Jews and through Abraham he has chosen you to be in a relationship with Him. This is the New Testament picture. This is who? This is the church. This is the church. He's chosen the redeemed to be in relationship with Him. And we now have this unique role of being this chosen people of God. Now, I think my son left a while ago. So, Friday afternoon... I'm on the DVR, and The Price is Right has been recorded, and I'm thinking, who in this house watches The Price is Right? And so I'm about to delete it, and I had deleted something else, and I got in trouble for it, but um, um, I got in trouble with my wife, and so uh, anyway, Uh, but then The Price is Right was stolen, and then I found out that Canyon had recorded The Price is Right, and I'm thinking, why does he want to watch The Price is Right? Are you kidding me? Well, <clears throat> come to find out, as I was talking to him yesterday, we went to, to get some candy at the candy store, and, and I said, why did you record that? And he said, I like when people's name is called and they run down to the front that they've been chosen. And I thought, hmm, I thought about this first point this morning, and I thought, when's the last time you and I responded that we have been chosen by Almighty God to be His? that had just caused us to just be a little crazy. I am marked by him. Because that's one of the most incredible things that you and I can realize this morning, that just as he chose this group of people in the Old Testament to bless them, not because there was something unique about them, Abram was an idol worshiper. And God radically changed his life just like he does us. And so Peter is saying here, I want to I tell you this, one of the great privileges you have in your salvation has come, that you had nothing to do with it, God has done all of the work of salvation. Because if we had any say in it, Paul says in Ephesians 2, 9, that we'd brag about it, that we did it. We wouldn't give God the glory, and so God does all the work, and so he gets all of the glory in this redeeming of us, but I want to remind us this morning that God sovereignly has brought us into faith in this relationship with Him, and it is an amazing thing. Peter, as he writes this, also echoes what the prophet Isaiah wrote. Listen to this, is Isaiah 53:10 and 40, or excuse me, 43:10 and 43:20. He says, "You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me that I and understand that I am he. And before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. Forty three twenty. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Now watch what he says here. You are a... Speaking of the church now, you are a chosen, sovereign work of God. You are a chosen race. And what this word race means here can also sometimes be translated generation, but not generation in regard to people living at the same time. Or it also doesn't refer to ethnicity, but it refers to this people who have a common life and origin and descent with one another. So here's what he's talking about here. You have been sovereignly chosen by God, brought into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. We have this common theme. Every single one of us has this life in Jesus. This life in Jesus in such a powerful, powerful way. And we have it all in common. None of us is greater than anybody else. We have this common thing. Jesus is the head of the church. We are the body. And we are intimately connected with him that's what the word race means here so we are a people now we are a race who have the common life and descent of christ alone you know when the when the church was birthed in acts chapter 2 on the day of pentecost they're all up in a room the spirit comes tongues of fire land on them they leave the house they go out into the streets and what do they do they just start speaking Who Jesus is in a foreign language they couldn't speak. All these people had come, they were there, and they're hearing the gospel for the first time in languages, foreign languages being spoken and people are understanding it. And on that day, a new group of people, a new race of people were born on the day of Pentecost, and it's people who are alive on the inside, before everybody was dead on the inside. Now there's people on the inside who are alive and we have become this chosen race, this unique people who have a common life connected to Jesus and we are alive. And the church burst forth on that day in such a powerful way. And then he says these words. He says, you are a chosen race. And then he says, a royal priesthood. Let's talk about royal priesthood for a moment. God desired this for Israel. This is Exodus chapter 19 verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. God says, listen, I'm choosing you to be my people, the earth is mine, and of all the people on the earth, I'm choosing you to be uniquely mine, my treasured Possession. Then he says this in verse 6, Exodus 19, 6. And you shall be to me, God is saying, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you shall speak, God tells Moses, to all of the people. So watch what God does. God in the Old Testament with the, with Israel, He said, listen, I want you to be my treasured possession. I'm I'm going to love you. You're going to be unique. You're going to be the one that's going to speak of my glory. You're going to model who I am and the greatness of who I am and how valuable my words are because you're the covenant people and you're going to walk in my ways and you're going to do this and you are going to be a minister to me. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. Priests, minister, they serve. This was God's heart. It was his longing for this people. And they spent so much of their time not living in God's plan for them and God's desires for them. So God desired for the whole nation, not just one tribe, the Levites, to be the priests and do the work. He wanted the whole nation to be priests. Now he had this group from Aaron, original high priest. Well, I guess we could go back. We'll talk about Melchizedek here in a second, but the Mosaic people from Aaron, there would be these priests. They would serve. They would go f- to God for people, and they would pray, and they would have a u- unique role of ministry to these people. But then something happened on the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross in Matthew chapter twenty-seven, fifty-one, it says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the very top to the very bottom. The earth shook. The rocks were split. Dead saints got up out of the tomb and they walked around and talked to people and met people. It was an incredible, powerful day. But in that moment when the curtain was torn, God was making a statement. This old way of you had to have somebody go for you to me, that's done away with. I'm making a new way through my flesh, through my body. Hebrews speaks about this. That Now you have access that every single person can come directly into the Holy of Holies, directly into the presence of God, and be with God. And under this new covenant, here's what Peter says. Listen, you are a chosen race, and you are a royal priesthood. So Peter, earlier he called it a a holy priesthood, but now he's saying this, it is a royal, it is a kingly priesthood priesthood and i want to look at these two realities just for a moment the priesthood of the believer this text here is one of the strongest and most clear texts of something that we affirm at this church it's called the priesthood of the believer the priesthood of the believer just simply means this that every christian everyone who has been redeemed doesn't need somebody else to go to god for them we can go directly to god ourselves We don't need a mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, and and that is who? That is Jesus. He's it. We just get to go directly to Him. You don't come through me. You don't come through your spouse. You don't come through a brother or a friend. We come directly to God through Jesus. And so in this moment, the Old Testament priesthood was no longer necessary. Temple curtain was torn. 80-70, Rome came in destroyed the temple, and all of that stuff had been done away with by A.D. 70 because there was a new and living way that we can't come through Jesus and we become a priesthood. Now Jesus got his priesthood not from Aaron, but he got it in the order of a guy named Melchizedek. That's Hebrews 7.14, 5.6, 6.19, and then David writes about it in Psalm 110 verse 4. And the affirmation is just simply this is that Jesus was unique just as Melchizedek got his priesthood from God Jesus is unique and he just like that Jesus got his high priesthood from the Father that was the role that the Father had from him he's not descendant from Aaron to take on this role but he was chosen and uniquely given this role by the Father so his role is the priest king Jesus came from the Father. Now watch this. For about 1,000 years, from 500 A.D. to 1500 A.D., until the Reformation really got into full force, the doctrine of, of the priesthood of the believer was lost for 1,000 years. And it's an amazing thing that it was. It just was lost. Because the teaching was, through the Roman Catholic Church, you got to go through a man to be able to get into the presence of God. And the problem for about 1,000 years is those priests been doing a lot of study on this in the last six to eight weeks. They were immoral men that you were having to go through to God and just terrible corruption in regard to what was going on in the church for that thousand-year period. And it was recovered in the Reformation that that was not the way things were to be. You go directly to God yourself. And we should Rejoice in this! One of the great works of the Reformation that's lasted since since it began. That that this idea of needing somebody else to get to God is done away with. You come to the New Testament over and over; it speaks about that we now are priests. We are priests coming directly to God. This is Revelation one four. Um, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and peace to you, from him who is and who was and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood, and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father. Revelation 5:10, and you have made them a kingdom and priests. To our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Beautiful identity here. Now, watch this. Peter is going to take things further than just your priests. He's going to attach another word, and he's going to use this word. It's translated here royal. In the Greek, it means to live in the palace of the king. So, watch what Peter says. You are a chosen race. Brought into salvation through Jesus. You are a kingly priesthood. You are living in the presence in the palace of the king. Who is the eternal God. Who is Jesus. Who is the king. He's the great high priest. He is also the king of the world. Psalm 2, Revelation 5. He's going to get the title deed to the earth. Because it's going to be his. It's promised to him in Psalm 2 that it will be His. The earth will be His. Now watch what happens here. So we're priests, get to go directly to God, but we're also, we also have royalty. There's something unique about us in regard to that we are connected to the King. Now we know in the Old Testament, the Jews had a hard, had a, had, had a hard time with this idea of something that Jeremiah wrote. Jeremiah wrote about that the priest that was going to come or the king that was going to become was going to be a priest, and they just baffled their mind that how could the king be a priest at the same time? But this is the way God has ordered things and established things for us. And so Peter advances this idea of the priesthood of the believer by combining the word royal or king or of the king's palace. And so the reality, you and I know this, where do we live? We live in the presence of God. As a matter of fact, it's so intimate We have become the temple of God. Where does God live now? Not in buildings. He lives in bodies of His redeemed. And so we live in the very presence of God. And so Peter's reminding them this great work of salvation has brought this. You have been chosen, brought into a relationship, and not only how powerful that is, but then He's made you royalty because we're connected and made alive by King Jesus, and we are priests we bear the dignity of the king and we have been given the ministry and the purity of the priesthood what did the priests do in the old testament they served people and they worshipped they served and they worshipped they served and they worshipped and they prayed for people and they went to people went to god for people but now our response is we get to come on our own and we get to exalt him we get to be drawn near this is what hebrews thirteen fifteen says through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to god that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to god now i want to stop for a moment and i want you to hang here with me y'all ready say yes okay For a thousand years, the priesthood of the believer was lost. And I think in some ways today, it's been obscured in our time. And it's been, been obscured through something that our culture pushes. And it's drifted in the church. And it's drifted into the mindset of Christians. And it's this. It's called a consumer mentality in regard to God. And a consumer mentality in regard to church. And it's this idea that I'm the center of things. When I go to the restaurant, I'm the center. Applebee's needs to think of doke first. My, my server needs to think of me first. I'm not to think of the server. That server has to think of me. And this mindset of where we go everything, we approach everything. We approach church, we approach church that way, just like we do buying a car or buying groceries. And we shop and we, we do this and all this kind of stuff. And, and the idea of coming to church has it's drifted into church and it's hurt the priesthood of the believer in this way is that too many come to church thinking, what's that church going to do for me today? So let me ask this question. When you drove up to the parking lot today, was there any part of your morning routine when you came today thinking, I wonder if they're going to sing my song today? Is he going to make is the pastor gonna make me laugh today? Is so-and-so going to talk to me today? And did we have an idea that when we came to church today that it would be about receiving or would it be about giving? And if our thought always about church is does the children's ministry, does this, does that, does just all the kind of stuff, are they going to, am I going to receive from them exactly everything that I want? And if I don't, I'm gonna be like a consumer? And I'm going to let the management know or whatever the, case, whatever the case may be. There's this mindset that's drifted in and we have, we have allowed it to come and it hurts our idea. Because when we come today, today isn't about you. It's about him and it's about others. Jesus said it like this. And he, Paul quoted it. Jesus, we don't know. It's not anywhere else in the teaching, but Paul quoted it. It's in the book of Corinthians. And he says, this, it is more blessed to give then what to receive and if that's the case when we come to church our mentality should be what am i getting today and if i don't get what i am i'm going to i'm going to you because know, you know the customer is always right that i'm going to just move on but what transformation could come to the church if every time we came the mindset was i'm going to find somebody to give my life to today. I'm going to pull somebody aside and say, hey, what's going on? Is there anything I can pray about? And maybe there's nothing to pray about. But maybe the idea is what kind of transformation would be if we understood that our role as priests are to serve others. And we get the blessing as we serve and as we give and not have this great mentality of receiving, receiving, receiving. It's kind of like a a party. If you were to go to a party for someone else and you got to the party and you kept wondering at the party when they were going to make a big deal about you, who's going to notice me? Well, what about me? You know, I've come, I'm here. What about me? And it's kind of a foolish illustration, but I think it's there. The purpose of today is about him. But if we have a mentality of, no, who's going to do something for me, then we will miss out on what the purpose of all this is. We have been made royal priests who are to serve, lift Him up, and glorify Him And that is this unique, powerful role that we have been given. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. Thirdly, you are a holy nation. Let's just talk about this for a moment. This word holy means to be set apart, consecrated. The word nation is the Greek word ethnos, which refers most often in times past, the Greeks use it to refer to Gentiles. Or it also had this meaning, a multitude of people... Who have the same nature. So it kind of goes to the chosen race idea a little bit. And he says this. But you are a consecrated set apart by God. You are a holy nation. People of the same nature. You belong to God. And we know this from Philippians 3.20. Your citizenship is in heaven. It's not a citizenship of the earth. And so we're here. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we, Paul says, and we await From heaven, a Savior who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And all over the earth today, there are believers who gathered yesterday, they've gathered today, and they worshiped Jesus. And we all have this one common thing together. And it's we've been chosen, we've been made royal priests, and we are consecrated, set apart, a nation of people who live in different things connected to the church. This nation has a king, Jesus. This kingdom has laws. It's his word to govern and guide us, and they're found in Scripture. This spiritual nation has a national purpose. It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We have a constant theme. We have an anthem that we sing, and it's one we can't stop singing. We sing about it all the time. Jesus died. He rose he's coming again. Jesus died, he rose, he's coming again. And we just sing it, and it's our anthem. We are a holy nation, Peter says. Fourthly, he says we are a people for his own possession. In the Greek here, we're two perspectives. Um, Your translation may say a peculiar people, or it may just say singular like ESV does, just people. There's a place in the Greek there where this word peculiarity of in regard to people is connected there. And it's the picture of people who have been bought out of something. And so the idea is, we know this, have we not been bought? Yes, we have been bought with a price. We have been redeemed by Jesus. So that's absolutely true of us. Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So this word, own possession, means this, that because of Christ's death and because we've been brought into relationship with Him, it makes us a peculiar people. The other idea is is this meaning, is that part of this Greek idea is, is that... <clears throat> Someone who's been bought, and then there's a circle drawn around them that indicates ownership of that person. And so, all over the room here, not all over, several places, I've got the word name. And so, just place your name in one of these places where it is. And this is what God does in salvation. That when we come to know Him through faith, we are redeemed. And He, after He redeems us, He draws... Yeah, I got bad chalk. Also, there's also places in McKinney where you can buy bad chalk too. He draws a circle around us, indicating not only have I bought this person, but I am saying this: this person is mine. That's what this idea means of possession. That not only has he redeemed us and made us a peculiar, unique people. But he's also drawn a circle around us, and he stands on the circle saying, that one's mine. That's my child. That's my child. And that's what he has done for us. So here, Peter is saying, we're not like those who've rejected. Jesus isn't a stone of stumbling for us. He's our exalted Savior, and we love him with his unbelievable deep passion. And so Peter says, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal, kingly race priesthood who's not thinking about themselves but is thinking about other people not only that but you are a holy nation we are connected to this common theme of we belong to jesus and not only that he has bought you with a price he's drawn a circle around your life and He possesses you and He did this great work. And, and just if you just look at that this morning, how amazing is that to think that wherever we go, this circle is where we live in. God is saying, mine, mine, that one's mine. And he, we are His possession. He is not ashamed to identify with us and he draws the circle around us and you you and I have seen this you watch shows and they put these things on auction that some famous person has owned and they you know they they sell a an ashtray or something and people spend millions of dollars on this thing because somebody significant owned it and it gives value to that well let me tell you how valuable you and I are it wasn't because we were attractive The value comes in because of who he is and what he's done and it gives our life value that he paid the price. He drew a circle around us and our security is unbelievable. You cannot lose your salvation if you know him. Listen to what Jesus said. My sheep, John 10 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And then Jesus said, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So Jesus says, I've got these people that I've drawn a circle around and they're in my hand. And if that's not enough, he wants to kind of double up the thing. And so he says this, my father who has given them to me, these ones that are in my hand that no one can snatch out of my hand. He's given them to me. He's greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. So can you think of a better place that our life could be placed today than in the hand of Jesus, in the hand of the Father, He's drawn a circle around our life saying, you are my possession. You are mine. It's beautiful. And then there's this Pleasure and delight of citizenship. So watch. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. Why? That we would, that you would proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Three things just real quick. We have the unique role because we've been redeemed because we're his to be proclaimers it's our great pleasure to proclaim him this word here that you may proclaim we'll talk about the excellencies here in just a moment but every christian would be a witness by their lips in their life to a lost world of who god is our heart at this church is that don't put it up there yet carl but i want to show you something uh the kids are still raising money for this for the building in Nepal, and it ends next Sunday. But money has continued to come in. We're we're close. We're close to fourteen thousand and something dollars now that have been given to the church in Nepal. I want to show you it's been completed. We have helped build a church in the middle of of unreached people groups in Nepal, and I want to show it to you. This is the dedication they have. This is up in the foothills of the Himalayas this week some of those people are lost people don't know anything about Jesus but now there's a building there and people are proclaiming more and more here on the bottom left is where we're going to go potty when we're there there's the bathrooms they're building Uh, cargo the next one at there we get this great privilege Peter says here to proclaim the excellencies of him and we'll be there in a little over three weeks inside that building proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus. It's part of our identity as we're proclaimers. This word excellencies is a word in the Greek that means to proclaim the unique character and power of God. That's what it means. So here's listen to what Peter says. You've been redeemed, you've been made all this stuff that you would proclaim. The excellencies of Him, praise Him. In other words, you would exalt Him, you would praise Him, worship Him for the great things that He does, the good quality, the excellence of His character and who He is. This summer, we're going to go do the same thing. You don't have to go to Nepal. We're going to go to Gulfport, Mississippi. And we're going to go and we're going to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into, thirdly, a place of light. To a place of light. This word called, called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, always refers to the call of salvation in the New Testament. Paul said it like this, Colossians 1, 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And I just want to say to you and I this morning, let's join in and live in the nature of his life and in his light. What an incredible thing we get to do. It's marvelous, he says. The word marvelous there means wonderful. Revealing that the light of the gospel of Christ is unique and unusual and unlike anything in the world. All right, lastly. There's a permanence and a perspective of our past. I love what Peter says here. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Mercy of God. This echoes back, if Peter is echoing back to the Old Testament, to the prophet Hosea. If you're not familiar with the prophet Hosea, God came to Hosea and said, This, I'm kind of done with the way my people want to prostitute themselves out to these other gods and not have. a a unique relationship with me and so Hosea you're going to be an example Hosea I want you to go marry a prostitute and so Hosea goes and he marries a prostitute her name is Gomer poor woman her name was Gomer but anyway no offense at all but anyway so Gomer come into a relationship and God's going to use the children of this relationship to speak to the nation now listen to these words Hosea 1 2 when the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said, Hosea, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, You will call this son Jezreel, for in a little while I'm going to punish the house of Yehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, and on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So the first child was a son. His name was Jezreel, which name means God sows, and it references, references God is going to sow destruction and ruin among the people because they rebelled against him so much. It was a prophecy about the end of the northern kingdom when Assyria would come in. It was also connected to Babylon, In regard to Judah. Then Hosea 1 6 says, And she conceived and again bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call the name of this kid. How would you like to name your kid? This. Call this daughter No Mercy, for I will have no mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them from the hand, save them by the Lord their God, and I will not save them by bow or sword or war, by horses or by so a girl is born and her name is no mercy picturing that god was not going to show mercy on them verse 8 says and when she had weaned no mercy she conceived and bore a son and the lord said call his name not my people for you are not my people because of the way you've been so god hadn't stopped being their god but god was just saying i'm done with this i'm done with this and then there's this beautiful text at the end of chapter 2 of Hosea where God turns things. And that's what he says. Listen, to this Hosea 2.21. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, and I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine and the oil and they shall answer Jezreel. Now listen to this. And I will sow, first name Jezreel, sow her for myself in the land. God's saying, I'm going to put the people back and I'm going to grow them again. I'm going to sow and they're going to grow. And I will have mercy on no mercy. That was the kid's name, daughter's name. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. God reverses the names of the children. And that's what Peter has in mind here. We'll close with this. Forgive me if I briefly share my testimony again with you. I grew up in a place where we went to church about, I don't know, uh, I don't think we went much. My parents say, yeah, we went all the time. I don't remember going much to church, and that was my recollection of things, and it was boring. Lucas, this is fun this morning, isn't it? You having fun, Lucas? Yeah. Boy, I remember when I went to church, I'm like, man, is that guy up there ever going to shut his mouth? <laughs> is he going to pray? I, can't. I, was, I longed for the amen. <laughs> it's time to go. Get out of this place. So that was my life until the end of my junior year when a friend of mine had his life changed by Jesus one weekend. And I showed up on Sunday morning, and he and I loved making fun of the Christians while we were at church and we knew who they were at school and but he'd gone to retreat that weekend and Jesus had saved him from the dominion of darkness and transferred him into the kingdom of his son. And he found me in the room and said, "Hey, I found what we were looking for and I did the Oh, yeah, great. You know, but the yeah, man, you know, man, I'm good for you. That's awesome." Well, something happened in that moment. My heart just just crushed. So I went to church that was boring if I haven't told you that and for the first time I think in my life I listened to the sermon I went home that afternoon we had an eight and a half foot basketball goal in our front yard that was made by the ag department my dad was the high school principal and they made a basketball goal that Shaquille O'Neal could hang on and wouldn't break and all us little guys we every Sunday afternoon we played basketball and dunked and thought we were really big Friends called and said, hey, what time are we playing today? And I said, we're not playing today. I don't feel very good. And I didn't feel very good. Because the conviction of God was so heavy on me that I almost couldn't function. So at 5 o'clock, they were having a testimony service for the retreat that I didn't go to. And I showed up at 5 o'clock for the testimony service of the retreat that I didn't go to. And I watched students stand up and say, this is who Jesus is to me at the very end of it, I walked up to the youth minister and said, I want what all those people have. I want that. And so I gave my life to Jesus. See, that testimony is this. I once was not a people. I once had not received mercy, but now I am the people of God. He's drawn a circle around me. Once I didn't have identity, now I have identity because of what he's done, not anything that I have done. So Peter is turned the kaleidoscope again this morning and he just said this listen there is a permanence and a perspective of your past that you need to have once you weren't something now you are something and it's an amazing thing that God has done this and we don't get to brag about it we just get to live in the light of it and it's an amazing 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 thing what he has done through his son Do you taste that this morning? It's just good, isn't it? Because none of us have any intrinsic worth. I'm sorry. The Bible says none is righteous. None, 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 none. And then all of a sudden, through what he does, we're righteous. And so we don't get to brag about it. We just get to say, I'm just going to proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light, wonderful light, Once I was not a person of God, now I am a person of God. I'm His possession. Once I had not received mercy, but now I have received mercy. And it's just good, and it's great, and it tastes good, and and it's just good to live in the light of it. It's good to embrace it. Listen to me. It is time to kill consumer Christianity. Are you with me? I look at all these people. Our job as soon as we sing a song and we pray in a moment is not to think about ourselves, it's to think about what can I do today at this place to invest my life in somebody else. Because we're kingly priests who are worshipers and servants of a king. We're going to sing our our national anthem of the holy nation no longer slaves what a perfect song today no longer slaves this is who we are that's what he's done let's pray